Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico. Hello. And Jenna Ipcar. Howdy. All right. This is our 50th anniversary. <sighs> 50 years of Smug <laughs> Film. It's very exciting, right? I have this like image of like an old timey like newspaper, like extra, extra. Read all. <laughs> yeah, we used to. Uh, that was essentially us. We'd all wear newsboy caps. Yeah. And just speak about film. Yep. Sometimes on a soapbox, sometimes with one of those like uh, cones that you yell into. Is that what they did 50 years ago? I'm Is that pretty what they did? positive. <laughs> like around the time of the Apollo missions? <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yep. But doesn't I liked 50 years ago when the chivalric code was still in effect and we <laughs> roamed the countryside of France just standing on uh, on stumps preaching Jesus and, and movies. Yeah, now that we're indoors, yeah. no one's running their sword through us anymore. So. Yeah. Doesn't the term 50 years always, for some reason, sound like newsboy caps? Oh my God, like, yeah, it does. Like extra extra and all that. <laughs> just like the... 50 years ago before movable type. Yeah. It just, it sounds like that. 50 but, years really does always sound like like a million years. Yeah. But no, it's like what? The 60s now, right? 50 years makes me think of the Jetsons. Like, I feel like 50 years in the future oh, yeah. is eternally the Jetsons, which mm-hmm. in many ways is a thousand years in the past. 50 years is always flying car era. Yeah. In the future, I mean. 50 we- years ago, they always had they had a different accent than they do now. You know, like all those 70s, 60s movies? Ah, yeah, I missed that. Like an, or, or the 20s. Everybody talks like a shithead around here now. <laughs> <laughs> it, got, it got real whiny. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of up at the end of the sentence. Like, um, like I don't really know if you are going to listen to what I'm going to say. So I'm just going to say it as nicely as possible. So yeah. I'm like, cute. Isn't there a whole NPR you, episode about that? Well, there's that. Yeah, there's a thing about vocal fry. There's a vocal and fry uptick one. And, yeah. And, yeah. And women get more shit than men do, but men do it all the time. I can't stand the way men talk in New York anymore. Well, men do that. I cannot listen to men in New York speaking anymore. (laughs) Men totally do the up voice thing too. Like I noticed that, like they do it, and not in the charming British way. You know, like when British people. Oh yeah, British people get away with the up voice because they'll like say something instead of like the weight of empire. Yeah, British people no no vocal fry usually. I guess not. Yeah, I I don't. I mean, not except for the men that. Why is it called vocal fry? (laughs) Because why is it fry? Oh my god. It's like when you're cooking fries and like it sizzles. Uh, yeah, man, like right, might oil. be a crackle. That might be it's it. Like a, <laughs> I'll buy it. Yeah, that's what it makes me think of. Yeah. Yeah. Vocal or fry. Stephen Fry. <laughs> yeah, or Stephen Fry. But Stephen Fry does not have a vocal fry. No. No. Remember when he was in the office as Augie the Og Monster? Was the that American? Him? No, that was Stephen Merchant. Never mind. Stephen Fry was never in the office, was he? No. He was in Black Adder. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? And he was in Fry With my boy and Lori. Hugh. Yeah, he was, he was, didn't he ever get a guest on House? Did he ever get a guest spot? I never saw House. Oh, House was good for a while, and then it got real bad. That's the history of television. <laughs> <laughs> this show was good for a while, and then it got real bad. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's relate that back to Smug Film. I think we're better than we've ever been. Yeah, we started out bad and got real good. <laughs> yeah, well, the first couple of episodes, like, we didn't really have good equipment. We were just kind of putting out feelers. We had different accents. Yeah. 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 And then we we came into our own as an we entity. We laughed like in medieval times when it's that like deep, like real sarcastic sounding Brian Blessed laugh. <laughs> I like that you went for Brian Blessed because that's exactly <laughs> the example that I was going to bring up. 
as far as that. We were constantly eating turkey legs while we were talking. Yeah. It and was, gesturing mm-hmm. with them. <laughs> it was great for a and while. And hitting people with their jester hats, their felt hats. Yeah, there's a lot of jangling in the yeah, back. Yeah, they were it was knocking basically, their trays yeah. over. It was Blackadder season one. Right. And now we're Blackadder like season three. Somebody or in the background was constantly grabbing the innkeeper and pulling her onto his lap <laughs> while laughing loudly. <laughs> Yeah, so we've come a long way and we will come an even longer way. Robin Hood was always fucking our shit up. <laughs> so always coming through halfway, cutting the episodes off. And we got we got you know, fifty more, I'm sure, and we'll we'll be even doper than we've ever been and all that. So anyway, just thank you all for listening this far, thus far. And uh, we hope you will continue on this journey of smug film with us. That's not the end of the episode. In the far-flung future of year 2000. Yeah, Yeah. instead of voicemail, because we started off with mailbag. Yeah, we had mailbag. And then we got email. (laughs) Email bag. The voicemail. Soon we're just going to have holograms of our fans in here. Yeah. That'd be amazing. I want to see your face Mm -hmm. right next to my face. Send us a face mail. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Mail us your face. (laughs) Just an old leathery, just like human face. Yeah, Hannibal style. Like the like the Evil Dead book, like the uh, Necronomicon. Yeah. I was gonna go Texas Chainsaw, which is interesting because we all separately came up with three different faces, examples <laughs> of people's faces being removed and worn in in some capacity. That's right. And there's that great Strangers with Candy episode where it's Jelinek's oh my God. face. That Remember was the that? best episode. <laughs> Oh God! Oh, that's, that's the one where where Stephen Colbert is standing next to his like body, and he's like, "We, we were we've befriended each other repeatedly for months." <laughs> <laughs> that that is, I think, one of my favorite episodes. It was yeah, Jelinek's face in the in the car accident, being all off and leathery, <laughs> <So good. laughs> having to be reattached. Oh, I gotta rewatch that. So it's it's October, folks listening at home. You know, for those of you who don't have a calendar or don't have any awareness of what's going on in the outdoors or listening 25 years in the future. That's true. I mean, you can listen to these episodes whenever you want. That's the beauty of podcasting. But uh, as of the time we are recording, it is October. And so we've been watching a lot of horror movies. I know Jenna has been catching up on her horror viewing, her being the one of us that is the least versed in the horror. I think we could Uh, agree. It's like, well, okay. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I like a lot more like psychological horror or like aliens or like serial killers. But then when it's like the slasher stuff, less interesting. Like everything but rap and country is what I'm hearing. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, But there's some good country. I'll put it that way. You want to say your country folk quote? Oh my God. It's been on every episode. Just say it it again. (laughs) It's it's true of horror movies when, when country is good it's called folk and when horror is good it's called a thriller well here's the thing i'm not trying to say that i don't like horror it's just that horror is so broad and i think that when you say horror i think people think of freddy jason Jason, scream which is weird because that shit is 30 years old yeah and there's been like a lot of stuff since then it's weird how like enduring it's the same problem with santa claus i think is that like all the stuff we associate with christmas like maybe a 10 year 15 year period where like they came out with like all the christmas songs all the iconography of like what santa looks like and the fatness and that whole coca-cola thing it's like all our nostalgic memories of like what we associate as christmas all came about in like a 10 15 year span in like the 30s and 40s or whatever yeah 
Yeah, and we're like in Eastern Europe, you know, like getting the trickled through the Soviets version of horror mm. 20 years later. So somehow it's still like Freddy to people. Yeah. But that's like we thing. still have the flock of seagull haircuts. <laughs> I haven't seen any of those except for I saw one of them. But like that, those Which are one? the movies. You saw Nightmare on Elm Street. Right? Yeah, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street, and when I was in like high school, one? the f- uh, maybe the one where it ends with the bed. That's I think like Johnny all of them. Depp's in it. No, yeah, it's the first one. Yeah, I saw that one, and I was like, eh, forgettable. I like Evil Dead. That's a like a sort of. Have you seen all of the Evil Dead? I've seen all of them. I like the third one the best because it made me laugh a lot. Army of Darkness. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I just haven't seen a lot of these sort of like what society, popular society thinks is a classic staple. But then I've seen plenty of movies that are creepy that I love. So I'm well, you not haven't seen anti-horror. Um, I just haven't seen these like 80s staples. Yeah, you haven't seen Halloween. I remember we told you to watch that maybe a year ago, but I guess you never did. I'm also a major wuss. <laughs> yeah. What 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 scares you the most, would you say? Like in a film, what what will get the biggest scare reaction from you? supernatural stuff scares me the most like uh, more so than like that's why i can watch like oh like a something about an actual serial killer and be like that's fine mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's not fine it's pretty horrible <laughs> but like it doesn't scare me as much as the idea of like aliens or even like i saw the freaking baba duke in theaters which i had mixed emotions about it wasn't bad but i didn't love it and that thing fucking scared the shit out of me as my mother dragged me when i was a child to go see the ring and that mm. ruined my life for like a month i couldn't sleep good movie though i will say or the grudge all of those scared the shit out of me well those kind of have like jump scares too so jump scares are you are you very affected by does yeah. the ring have jump scares well it has the i guess the closet yeah i was thinking of the closet oh, God. <laughs> i feel like there are a couple others peppered through but maybe i'm just there misremembering might I there might be i really haven't seen that in so long look yeah. i mean it was ball scary yeah, I mean, but also the like Japanese the Japanese one was worse, though. Yeah, it also made more sense. It was a bummer because like I had to watch both of them and they it was were better. Really lit. horrifying. I, I just remember the Japanese one being better lit. The American one had that like seventh heaven kind of lighting inside the house. <laughs> yeah, the coming which, out which of the... it put takes me out of scream too. the lighting mm-hmm. inside the house is so it's very WB. Yeah, it's so like 90s sitcom. The uh, the coming out of the TV thing isn't actually like that scary. It's like a scary idea, but how it's handled in the ring, it seems like it's, you see so much of it like occurring that it's kind of like, it doesn't really have as much of an effect. Like I think, I feel like probably the the best scare in that film is like right in the beginning with the closet opening. And in the, in the Japanese one, that's like a terrible scare actually. Like it's, it's just badly done in the yeah. Japanese version. I, I've, isn't it like it just cuts to like a photograph of like, the girl or something and it's like it doesn't look like grotesque or anything if i'm remembering it correctly in, See, the, but the, in that, ringu i think the one the, the jumping and like the the suddenness is scarier than when you see something grotesque that's what why the the japanese stuff does so well is that there's really it's just like a girl <laughs> you know yeah. and she's really not that creepy except that she is because you just can't like see her face you don't see the the skull if i saw like a like a zombie skull i'd be like ah, oh, it's a zombie like I know something about a zombie. If it's like just a girl with her hair in her eyes, you're like, I don't know what the fuck to do with that. Yeah, that's a good See, point. See, that never bothers me. The, really? Um, yeah. Ugh. The like Japanese like little girl monster thing. It, it never, it never really caught me. I also never had a trouble with the um, like killer doll thing that gets a lot of people. 
Like, even when I was a kid, the Twilight Zone that scared me the least was the talkie Tina one. Oh, God. Just never bothered yeah, me. Yeah, dolls don't bother me, but dummies do. I remember dummies affecting me when I was a because kid. Because dummies have those judgy eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're very still. Yeah. That, actually, that Twilight Zone bothered me when I was a kid, and I think it was because it was so, he was so still when mm-hmm. he was sitting there. That's a great one. That's a, yeah. That's one of those, like, classic maybe 10 or 15 twilight zones that everybody knows even if they haven't even watched them that that are really like man i think if you crunch the numbers it's probably closer to like 30 probably there were so many but there are so many that people like know of existing that yeah it's like how many people have actually like sat down and watched the like pig nose operation one eye of the beholder but everybody knows that that exists the i think the scariest scare in the whole Scaresylvania of the Twilight Zone <laughs> is in Mirror Image, the one when the woman's at the bus station and she thinks her doppelganger is there. There's this part. Do, do, do either of you remember that one? Not offhand, no. That is the good stuff. But there's part, it was like the first season. So it was when it was still, you know, like really like aggressive. There's this part where she walks into the bathroom to like splash water on her face. And there's this um, cleaning lady in the bathroom who mentions that she was just in the bathroom and she was like, Oh no, I haven't been in the bathroom. I've never been in this bathroom. Mm. And then she opens the door. That's how she talks, by the way. Okay. <laughs> and she opens the door to walk out and the camera like holds on the mirror of the bathroom and you see her opening the door and walking out. And you see on the other side of the door, her sitting in the chair in the bus station waiting. And then she just shuts the door and like bugs out. But you see it all through the mirror and you just mm. see her open the door and you see her on the other side of the door and like, man, that one gets me. Is Even it, as an adult, that yeah. one is, because it's so like beautifully composed. Yeah, I got to check that out. There's a really memorable mirror shot in um, the first episode of Twilight Zone, I think. Is that the Oh, one? when he runs into the mirror? Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's Where one is of it? the best mirror yeah. shots I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, Contact borrowed that one. Hmm. Remember that bit in contact yeah. where she runs to the medicine cabinet and you realize it's all like through the perspective of the mirror in the medicine cabinet? You know what does that sometimes? Porn does that sometimes. <laughs> They'll do that because it gets away with an extra shot, you know? Like I I swear I've seen a yeah. bunch of 70s porn where it'll be in the mirror and then it'll sort of like pull out and you realize it's the mirror and then they get an extra angle by like then going on to the people. Maybe I'm the only one on this one. <laughs> But I swear, hey, I'm sure... Well, you're clearly not the only one. I'm sure Mark Cavino knows exactly what I'm talking about because me and him go back and forth a lot on 70s porn. And I'm sure he's listening right now and he's like, yes, I know exactly what you mean. I'm sure he's pleasuring himself right now. Maybe that's where Kubrick got the idea. I would not be surprised. A lot of people crib from porn, but... uh, Mirror mirror horror is horrifying. Scares the shit out of me. Surprisingly, not the movie Mirrors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what was that? Yeah, man, that one was... Uh, they gave away like a lot of the mirror scares in the trailer. Yeah, that was a scary trailer. Yeah. That was a But then you scarer. watch the movie and it's just like an extended cut of the trailer where nothing happens between the uh, the mirror yeah, shots. Yeah, it's like, it, it's like a 90s album where you have the, the single and then you have like four <laughs> skits and the intro and the outro yeah. and a hidden track that's pretty much just people <laughs> talking in the studio. And then like two other songs. You remember the, how they used to do like hidden tracks where um, the last track would be like 30 minutes yeah. long? That was so fucking frustrating when you're trying to rip like a CD yeah. onto your onto your computer. Because like I would end up just skipping ripping the last track. It's like, no, I don't want like a 30 minute fucking MP3. 
on here or a 30 minute lossless file or whatever. It's like, fuck it. That was a great call of when you ripped a CD and then you just deleted all the shit you didn't want. Yeah. Yeah. And then like suddenly they became great albums because mm-hmm. they were like four good songs. And you're like, yeah, you, you guys made a good EP. You just, <laughs> I guess, called it an album. <laughs> so, um, so you've watched stuff recently, Jenna, you said? So, yeah, John told me to go watch Night of the Living Dead. Nice. Which... Seminal. My my story being is that I, I started watching what I thought initially was Night of the Living Dead because I didn't look at the name of it. <laughs> no, wait, sidetrack. I did tell you to watch both of these movies. Well, I didn't remember. <laughs> the most and recent... I had, no, I had more recently told you the other one. Really? Yes. Well, I ignored you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what did you watch? So I, I started watching this movie and I'm like, as it, you know, it's playing like five minutes in and I'm like this. I don't think this is right. But, you know, I don't know. I was like, let me let me just kind of stick with it a little bit. And then the first thing that they start to talk about with like 10 minutes in, one of the characters says to the other, you know, that movie Night of the Living Dead. And so I'm like, mm, this isn't Night of the Living Dead. So I pause it. And I look and I'm like, oh, it's Return of the Living Dead. Mm. I just didn't look at it. So I was like, well, I said I was going to watch Night of the Living Dead. So let me let me go back and, and like watch Night of the Living Dead, which uh, I did. And then after I watched that, I was like, oh, I want to watch the other one. It seemed pretty good. And I watched that. So I watched Return of the Living Dead and Night of the Living Dead. And I loved both of them. Nice. Loved them. Because, but those were also two great examples. Well, I think actually Night of the Living Dead was a, a great example of also a movie that just um, is really propped up because it had great characters, you know, and interesting character choices. And what's really interesting about that is just sort of how, you know, the, the psychological aspects behind it versus even the, the zombies, even though they were pretty creepy. Mm. John's giving me a look. Am I? I think he's just listening to what you're saying. Yeah. Whoa. The first. I'm kidding. Um, now I'm giving you a look. <laughs> <laughs> And then I really liked Return of the Living Dead because um, it was really fucking funny. It was actually genuinely amusing. A yeah, real black comedy. The- directed by the great Dan O'Bannon, mm-hmm. one of the most underrated ones out there, who also wrote um, Alien and directed Dead and Buried, which you probably would also like. Dead and Buried is real good. That's All what right. I've heard of a lot. you want to keep pushing with never... the Dan O'Bannon thing, so. Dead and Buried is your next stop, I'd say. I just, yeah, you it's know really what? good. I feel like black comedies are so hard to come by. I, they're so rarely good. It's usually just bad. I just, I like. Well, welcome to the horror world because, man. Yeah, you got a lot of them. black comedies in store for you. That's the thing is like sometimes I've seen a lot of like bad 90s like horror shit that I just couldn't make it through. And then I, it's turned me off to it. I think you just got burnt at an early age. I'm also a wuss. I'm totally a wuss. So I also avoided it actively. But this was great. I, you know, I really was impressed. And then in night of the living dead, you see go back and forth between the two continually uh, was one of those great movies where I have seen so many movies since the course that were so clearly influenced by this movie. Mm. And that was, it was wonderful because it was still good. Sometimes, you know, you, you see this, like the, this was the first and you're like, you know what? I kind of wish I had seen this first because I've seen it done better since uh, night of the living dead. I actually thought was it completely held up. You know, it was still, yeah, it's probably the best telling of its own story. Yeah. You know, like there were maybe a couple of like angles I've seen done a little slightly better, but yeah. like not in a way that it, it really outdid anything. It really anything. like stacks on itself too. Like if I, I, um, I was watching clips of it the other day because I had some reason that I forget, but I was watching clips of it the other day for some reason. 
that I forget. <laughs> and I wasn't watching the whole thing, which I had rarely done before. Usually if I'm watching any of it, I'm watching the whole thing because it's short and it's the best. And like when you watch clips of it, it really doesn't catch you. Like it's not that intense when you just watch like a little bit of it. Like if you just watch that end, it really doesn't doesn't do anything. Right. When you watch it all the way through, it like it just mounts. And the end is there's just so much weight pushing on you by the end of the movie. You know, like it, man, that ending is just unreal. Oh, it's completely like it brilliant. Weighs on you so hard. And I loved, I love that there was a, you know, they they cast a, a black man as the lead, and also a, like a woman to to be sort of the second lead in a way, even though more a more cast of characters shows up. Yeah, as they go between night, dawn, and day, they really keep exploring that more and more. Yeah, and they really build on it. Like dawn also and day also have the woman and a black man dynamic mm-hmm. and dawn is really where it starts because dawn was 78 so it's well into the um woman's lib movement whereas night at 68 was just the beginning of it so dawn you start to get that turn where like there's this point in dawn where um the woman like flat out vocally refuses to be the one left behind doing the dishes and then day it turns around where you have the woman who's pretty much the leader yeah of she's the, group. She's the man the, yeah and the and the opponents are just sort of a cadre of militarized white men, right? Which is actually also now that I think about it, all three of them have that approach where it's the antagonists are militarized white men, mm. and the protagonists are led by a woman and a black man. All the zombies were white. I noticed. I don't know that that continues, but at least in this one, I don't know that that, that was might a just have been choice. because it was Pittsburgh, right? <laughs> <laughs> Night of the Living Dead 2, probably one of the best public domain films. I would say flat out the best. Yeah. I'd say the only number twos are, um, I mean, It's a Wonderful Life is public domain. Oh, right. And um, Carnival of Souls. So you have these ones nipping at its heel. Well, definitely the best uh, public domain horror. I mean, that's a movie that... Well, Carnival of Souls, which was a huge inspiration on Night of the Living Dead, actually. For sure. But yeah, I, I, I think... I think it's probably one of the best movies ever made. And I also think you could make a case that it's like the third or fourth or fifth most important movies ever made. Because it has that thing like Citizen Kane and like Breathless, where when you look at movies after Night of the Living Dead, they all kind of look like it and feel like it. Like not even just horror things, but I mean, just that idea of um, politically charged, cloistered, independent cinema really comes down to night of the living dead and i've had fights with um film people a lot about this because film people i think will say when you make your list of the most important movies of 68 like nights in there but not particularly high and usually rosemary's baby is a little higher up and they say well yeah it was a great year for horror because you had rosemary's baby and you also had night but i think that's bullshit i think night of the living dead was easily the most important movie of 68 which is one of the most important years in movies and in art period. But I also think Night of the Living Dead is one of the most important movies of all time in a way that it doesn't get graded for. Yeah, it's not going to be on like AFI top list. Yeah, which is bullshit because it belongs up there because it's, if you read Roger Ebert's review of Night of the Living Dead, he's talking about it from the perspective of like being jaw dropped that a movie like that exists because it was probably the first movie that was scary. Mm. And I don't mean creepy and I don't mean like disturbing and I don't mean, you know, like elegantly chilling. I mean like genuinely aggressively and pointedly at the audience scary. 
Which is something that the, the influence of that extends, I think, far beyond even the parameters of just a horror movie. But it's, you know, like... Well, it's a great social commentary, that whole movie. Yeah, because it's super political. Yeah. Which is the other thing about horror movies. I think horror movies and westerns are the most political genres. Because nobody's paying attention who can stop you. Which is more than anything, I would say, the reason that they're so fucking great. But Night of the Living Dead is so... It uses everything about the way the world looks and feels and behaves in the moment that it was made, which was, you know, the year that the world felt like it was coming apart. I mean, 68, you, you had a compelling reason to think that the United States wasn't going to exist in 1970, mm. in 68. And um, to an extent, every honest movie of that era is a horror movie. You know, like you have... Um, Robert Kramer's Ice and everything, which are political thrillers, but they're really, you know, they're like horror movies. And the Parallax View, which is a political thriller from that era, well into even like the mid-70s, you know, stuff like All the President's Men. In the sense of, I think the definition of a horror movie is the mundane being invaded by the um, irrational. Right. That's every movie of that era, you know, all of them. That's Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Mm-hmm. So if I want to type into the Demikopedia right now, question. Which there should be one. He's, any right, fans, he's right here. Yeah, any fans out there so, want to <laughs> make their own wiki of a Demikopedia or whatever. I will sue you. <laughs> this is what it comes down to. How? Because um, I, I, I watched Night of the Living Dead this morning. So I'm coming in here. I didn't even Google it really. I, I, I Googled it slightly and then I was like, I got to Google this more later. Well, but you had to you're get right the title here, right so. for one thing. Listen, buddy. Um. How well was like was that movie? It was a, it was a low budget film. How many yeah. people saw that movie when it came out? Well, it's actually a really interesting thing about it. It's one of the most profitable movies of all time, except nobody made any money off of it. And I think those two things come hand in hand. I did with read it. that it was in the public domain. Yes, the reason yeah. it's in the public domain was it was originally called Night of Anubis, which actually shows no you Anubis something something else about it, which is the state of horror in '68 was that. It wasn't set in 1968 in America. It, nobody had come up with this concept yet, really, of you know making a movie where something really scary happens to people then and there and in a farmhouse in America. So you had to sort of dress it up with this grand, you know, four thousand year old Anubis concept, right. a whole this, mythology. Yeah, you, you had to give it this sort of overarching. I almost said gothic, but it goes well beyond gothic. This this overarching sort of historio bent. Which isn't in the movie, really. It's it's just a movie about people in, in Pittsburgh in the 60s. But point I bring it up is it was originally called Night of Anubis. And then somewhere, I think right before the first screening or maybe like the second screening, Romero's like, no, you know what? Fuck it. I'm calling it Night of the Living Dead because it's about a night and it's about the living dead. <laughs> Solid. So an obscure fact of copyright law in 1968, which has since been changed, is that you had to, on the title card of your movie state that it was copywritten. Otherwise, it's not. Jeez. Which mm. isn't true now. If you make a work now, it automatically right. is considered a copywritten work, which has its own nest of problems, but probably a better system. So they made a second title card saying Night of the Living Dead, and they didn't put the copyright information at the bottom. Mm. So Night of the Living Dead instantly became a public domain film, which means that it was played on TV all the time. <laughs> In the late 60s, the 70s, the 80s, all those like late night, like chiller shows where, yeah. you know, like Elvira would host it. It was the cheapest thing they could get. I'm and shocked it was that also was on TV. The best. 
Brutal, though. The same case came for Carnival of Souls, which was um, a major inspiration on Night of the Living Dead. It came out five years earlier, and it's pretty much a big part of the reason that Night of the Living Dead looks the way it does. Actually, it was two movies. It was um, Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price and Carnival of Souls. And they both, for whatever reason, made the same mistake and both lapsed into the public domain. So all three of them, you have this sort of chart of like developing the concept of a zombie movie. Carnival of Souls is nominally about ghosts, but it's really like a zombie movie. And Last Man on Earth is nominally about vampires, but it's really about zombies. And Romero took the two of them and sort of mixed them up and created the first zombie movie, which is Night of the Living Dead, which has this sort of push and pull where a big part of the reason it's so popular is that anybody could access it, and you still can, freely and legally. So it's it's this really interesting behind-the-scenes story with it. And also you have all those, uh, like, fan dubs, and, like, I remember there was that... It's one with, like, a really long title. It's, like, Night of the Night Living... of the Day of the Dawn of the Son of the Bride. Yeah, the, yeah that so one. you have all these, like, you know, mystery science theater-esque... Uh, redos of uh, Night of the Living Dead that I remember on on tape. I remember like you'd find them in like yeah cool movie stores and it also has been colorized like three times. Yeah. Because anytime a company decides they're going to get into colorization, they look around and look for the cheapest options, and the cheapest option usually is Night of the Living Dead mm-hmm. because it has a huge audience and it's a great movie and you don't have to pay for it, which is like you don't come across that a lot. Nope. So Return of the Living Dead. When I when I first watched that one, and I'm curious, you know, what your reaction was, because clearly you you dug it right off the bat. But when I first watched that one, I don't know how prepared I was for whatever the vibe it, it was, because that's one where I watched it and I thought it was okay. And then every time I thought about it since, anytime I watched it again, I like it way more. I guess I never realized, or it wasn't sold to me as something as self-referential as it was, and referential to the whole zombie genre and i guess i just didn't get it that first time it almost has like almost like a charlie kaufman-esque vibe to it where it's it's deconstructing reality in such a way that um you know it's so unique and it's so playing with the rules of everything i think the fact that i don't take a lot of horror i i'd rather rather i prefer the comedic aspect of some of these horror movies, because some of them just seem very ridiculous to me, like scream. I actually saw one of those in theaters. Yeah, but screams intentionally. Yeah. Screams funny. like, but it's not funny. A comedy. It's not funny for me. I never, I've never found it amusing. I thought it was stupid. I just like, I go into those and I'm just like, this is so See, bad. I hate when you use that word that <laughs> way. <laughs> it just didn't, it, it stupid, it stupid. Doesn't the comedy what was s- lazy and boring is, and no, nothing made so me laugh. Deliberately like that though. But yeah. I hate, I, I, I like hate basically that. what you're saying is it's not to your taste and you're assuming that they were stupid when they made it because they didn't make it to your taste. Yeah. <laughs> well, me, me That's and, bullshit though. Me you're a no, fucking film critic. You can't do that. Well, I you're not watched it when I was year old, like chump 10. So, I mean, like I, I, my response to it was that it was just, it was lazy. I don't like that kind of humor. I, and I, I tend to, I tend to turn off. So maybe whatever might've been like genuinely good in scream, I just found super lazy. I don't like Scream. I should throw that in there. (laughs) But like, I I, I agree with you. I don't think it's particularly good. So my words for lazy is dumb. It's a very deliberate film though. But it's not stupid in any way. It's it's doing exactly what it sets out to do. But I I don't like those. But that's not stupid. Well, that's my word for it. The, the like, um, 
or what was that movie? Your too? word for it is stupid. <laughs> Your word for it is wrong. You're arguing semantics. I I am arguing semantics because this is a film criticism podcast, and literally all it is is semantics. I don't have a problem with calling someone dumb. Here's the thing. I don't care. I know that all movies, you know, what was that quote? There's just as much effort in a bad movie as there is in a good movie. I wish I could remember who said that, but yeah, that's a great, it's a, it's a famous, well, it's not always true. I mean, sometimes some movies are stupid, but I don't, I don't, but that's the thing is that like, you know, if, if something is just unappealing and there's, there's plenty of, I know people that think scream is the best goddamn movie that ever came out. And I just don't, I don't see what they see in it. I don't see anything in it. I, I like, I'd rather that not exist. <laughs> I don't think it has the legacy that people thought it would have had at the time. I think when, at the time it came out, I remember people really did think that was one of the best horror movies. Like people love that fucking movie. People when it came still out. love it. I can't tell you how many people, and I feel like that's also part of growing Do up in my age. you think they're stupid for loving it? Maybe secretly. <laughs> Well, here's How can somebody th- be secretly stupid? I know I'm secretly judgmental. Oh, here's the thing with Craven. He and me and John were actually going back and forth on this in Facebook. The yeah, other this day. was a good theory of yours. Yeah, which is that you know I I'm a huge fan of Last House on the Left. That's that's got to be one of my favorite horror movies. And in Last House on the Left, there is a lot of humor that doesn't work and is very grating and uncomfortable. And I'm fully convinced that it's there intentionally so. And it, it's almost like a, a commentary on a lot of like humor that existed in late 60s, early 70s stuff that was just so fucking eye rolling. Like there's a scene in Last House on the Left, which otherwise is a, a very chilling, very maybe realistic isn't the right term. But angry. Angry. And I think the, the big word for that movie and... I totally bought your idea of this because of this is because it's like the angriest movie I've ever seen. Yeah, it's and it's very angry against, you know, the pop culture comedy of the time and music and this, that and the other. And it takes these elements and uses them in these ways that just fucking disorient you like crazy. Like there's a scene where like two bumbling sheriffs, like all the stuff with the bumbling sheriffs is so out of place with the film because You've got these horrible things going on and these people like torturing these poor girls. And then you cut to, all right, well, let's see what the bumbling sheriffs are doing who are trying to get in there and save the day. And like they're running down the street because their car broke down and they they run into like this um, toothless black woman driving like a chicken truck. And she's like, well, you're going to have to sit on the top. And then like they go and try and sit on top and then the car won't start. And she's like, well, well, I can't take off my chickens. And it's this whole back and forth that is so horrible. But it's that kind of like Tim and Eric thing where like the joke is about like how fucking annoying and stupid that kind of humor is. And I don't know how much of that people pick up on when they're watching a movie because it's an old movie. So people kind of assume, oh, it's old. So people didn't understand what that kind of humor was yet. It's they like, assume it's stupid. I have an immediate response for you, but I'm going to let Cody they assume, finish. They assume that we invented that humor in like the last couple years. Like yeah. that kind of looking yeah. back and, you know, doing things intentionally that are on that are not funny as a funny thing, that sort of thing. And But I think he was very clearly doing that in that film. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. I think he hated that humor just as much as we do. And he stuck it in there as like a fuck you to disorient you. I think here's the thing that here's what I don't like. I don't like insincerity. So humor like that, it it takes a real skilled person. I haven't seen this movie, so I'm not, I can't really comment on it, but 
it takes, it takes a very skilled person to be able to walk that line between saying like being, having that self-awareness and that understanding, which does come with society. There's plenty of things that age and people forget because we forget in like five minutes, you know, in general, you know, gas crisis, what's that? But like, um, <laughs> you know, like then there's movies that just like, I feel like they, they lowball you because they, they think you're dumb. And that's when I think I say, screw you, you're dumb. But do you think Scream was lowballing people because it thought they were dumb? A little bit. But in then again, way? I haven't I've seen it. I've never gotten in a long, near, long time. And keep in mind, I don't like Scream <laughs> at all. I don't like Wes Craven's movies at all. But I don't think he was stupid. I think he just had very different tastes from me. I like... Um, Cabin I in really, the Woods, I thought, was kind of stupid. I didn't see Cabin in the Woods. I really liked Red Eye, which was Wes Craven. Yeah. I, Red Eye has like one of the best trailers I've ever seen. But it, I remember movie, very distinctly thinking this is like the greatest good. trailer. That was the problem with that movie. The trailer yeah. was so good that yeah. you can't live up to it. Whoever did that trailer, I wish we knew who it was <laughs> because they, they should be they should be at the Oscars. Well, that's like the thing I have with Gummo where the trailer for Gummo is edited by Mark Romanek and it's so much a better version of Gummo than the actual film that I wish that the, <laughs> that he had edited Gummo. I wish Romanek had edited Gummo. But that's beside the point, even though Gummo is kind of a horror movie. But, uh, but I, I get annoyed whenever I, whenever I see movies that sort of present stuff like, ah, they'll fucking eat this up. You know, like, I don't know what yeah, to put I, I here, mean, so they'll eat it. I'm totally sympathetic to and that. I get It angers me. So then I, I'm just like, you know what, I'll, I'll sort of counter it with my own, uh, you know, immaturity and call it stupid. <laughs> But I think I think what you're talking about, you can find then, a bit more of in the Scream sequels, maybe because they're just kind of cashing in and like. What was the know. one with like the glory hole? Was that? That was two, I think. That one was terrible. Oh, at the movie theater. Yeah. That one was stupid. I, I just like because it just was dumb. It was like you know you couldn't think of something better, or something creepier, or even something funnier. It just what it was just so catering to like the you know twelve year old humor, but it wasn't even a movie for twelve year olds. My concern with the dumb thing is I feel like it's a shield to not have to address what the movie is actually doing or saying. But sometimes it, it, it I mean, for sometimes me, certainly, yeah. It, it gets in the way like so I, much I, that I can't, I don't want to address the rest of it because I just, it, it, it just takes away so much of my respect for the movie at that point. If I feel like the, the, the movie's talking down to me and it's, it's so much, I'm just like, I don't really care what your message was, dude. Like you, you presented it so poorly that it got lost. You know? I get that, but like, I feel like you have a hair trigger on this. Well, I'm how, an angry person. How much do you trust your own barometer as far as discerning whether that's tongue in cheek or not by I, the filmmaker? Because sometimes yeah. things can appear, you know, dumb and stupid, but they're they're supposed to be that, and it's they're they're addressing dumbness and stupidity. Like I feel like the first scream very like verbosely addresses stupidity yeah. right in, right from the first scene. You know, like yeah. all, that kind of horror movie logic, you know, it, it pretty much it, it's very didactic. I think if if ever there were a complaint to make about Scream is that it's it's almost too tongue in cheek for yeah. people to to enjoy. Also, the the first scene is so good. It destroys the rest of the movie. Yeah, the, the first scene is is incredible. Uh, you know, like there's plenty of movies. I mean, I can think of right now off the top of my head, which isn't a horror movie, but the, the movie Idiocracy, which I've mentioned before, when I first watched it, I was, I, I left it angry. I was like, this was so dumb. This was just like annoying. That I agree with you on. It really, that and then one the, I did feel that with. And then mm -hmm, after I left and I kept thinking about it, I was like, that was actually a great movie. And now that I've seen it, you know, several times since, 
not, it's not like the best movie of all time, but I actually really appreciate it because I understand what he's doing now. Whereas when I first saw it, I just, it, I didn't get it. See, I never shifted on that one. Really? Me I like either. that movie. I still, I still think, think the premise is way better than the film yeah. and will always be. I think he just didn't have the budget or the support that he needed to do what he wanted to do. And I don't think the script was strong enough. I think he did it better with Beavis and Butthead. Well, yeah. So much better. And so also, many times. Yeah, to so an extent better. with King of the Hill yeah, and to an extent yeah. with uh, Silicon Valley in some ways, like in Office Space. He he. It's almost like that was... You could compare that to like maybe Synecdoche, New York, but in the case of Charlie Kaufman, I that's hated a, that movie. that's my favorite one of his. I yeah. think it's, it's no. the funniest. It's the best. Oh, it's the worst. But the but point, I hate Charlie Kaufman. The point ultimately. being that Idiocracy is is almost like his Synecdoche. It's like yeah. this, all of his whatever his overarching theories about life and this that and the other. That's the um, that's the thesis film. Idiocracy is his thesis film. But it's nowhere near as strong a film as, you know, Synecdoche, New York, which I absolutely adore. I think it's probably not as strong because I think it was his thesis film, mm-hmm. you know? And then, like, you you set all these little roadblocks for yourself doing that. Yeah. Like, Idiocracy, I feel like, feels so beholden to itself, you know? Yeah, it's very... It becomes one note. Yeah. Whereas he can filter, you know, a bunch of other stuff and... And do a bunch of other stuff in all of his other projects. Yeah, like Beavis and Butthead do America, which goes over the same ground, but is also so much more fun and so much funnier. Yeah, and even... Because like he could do things like the little tripping in the desert bit, the little like <laughs> Rob Zombie movie in the middle. Yeah. Which is a great horror movie, actually. Yeah, we, I mean, Judge has such a immaculate track record other than idiocracy and i guess extract too is not so good i never saw that yeah i'd steer clear but um yeah in general he's got such a great track record such a a fascinating and and brilliant mind definitely one of the most important comedic minds along with like trey parker and matt stone like whatever you feel about these guys you got to admit that they kind of like crystallized this this humor that uh, that we've been experiencing over the last like 20 years and um, but idiocracy, I guess it was a combination of it being too thesisy script. Maybe could have used a couple rewrites and not enough money and not enough support from the studio. Et it's cetera. really quotable, though. It's a, one of those movies that's better in memory, I think. Yeah, because yeah. you you come that's up with a, a better of version of the film it's, in your head. Maybe you just remember the the good stuff and you don't remember the bad stuff. Yeah. But it uh, like stripes. <laughs> <laughs> stripes is probably the most classic example. Yeah. That's such a revered movie, and God damn, is that a slog. Yeah, it's impossible to get through, but the good parts are really funny. Yeah. Return of the Living Dead, to bring it all the way back, mm-hmm. I thought it was very intelligent. That's what yeah. I liked about it. I thought that the humor was, the timing was very well done. It wasn't even that like, because it's a concept that easily could have been bad. Yeah, you know? and too, it has been bad in so many other absolutely, movies. Absolutely, yeah. It's been, it's been very poorly done. Two bumbling guys who just like are trying to like one-up each other a little bit and then set off the apocalypse essentially, you know, like that could have been terrible, but the timing when he like, you know, they, he like, you know, the setup of him sort of whispering the story, it was great. Cause you get so in, intense and involved in it. You're like, yeah, like what's, you know, and then the phone rings and he jumps yeah. and they're like, Oh Neil, no, you want to see him? They're downstairs, you know? And they get down there and it's like, you know, this guy clearly thinks he's hot shit. And the kid, the teenager is like totally like freaked out. And I seen where he just like hits that drum. Yeah. And then all of this fog comes out and then like the, the music starts. 
I was like, mm. this is going to be a great fucking movie. It's so well <laughs> motivated is the thing with it, I think. Yeah. Which, be- like, I think is the secret to a good horror comedy. Like, everything has, like, a purpose. Everybody has a purpose for doing whatever asinine shit they do. And, yeah, and it's a very meticulous the, script in yeah. that way. That the humor is even funny, uh, sort of taken out of context, I think, is yeah. also important. Because that's like Evil Dead does that very well. Yeah. You know, like, it's just stuff that that is funny. It's not even like, well, it was funny because of this. And then you have, there's no like crazy setup. You don't need it. You know, you don't have to be like, well, it was a zombie. Like, you know, the zombies are killing all those police officers and being like, send more police officers. Yeah. Like, That's yeah. great. I you also, know? I think tar man is one of the best creature designs I've ever oh, seen yeah. in film. Yeah. I oh, like yeah. all the effects were good, but that one in particular, man, I mean, that could have been its own film. Like that's such an iconic and beautiful uh, creature design. I was actually surprised that the naked chick after she turns into a zombie didn't have more like explicit screen time. Maybe because she was naked when she's like white with the red hair. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because she also looks so iconic. I kept thinking she's going to be like, you know, like video games. She's going to be the boss. Yeah. Like she's going to come back. She doesn't really. She just has like a couple of moments. Yeah. There's just enough that you remember it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think what really is interesting about that movie is as funny as it is and as like human as it is, it is probably like pound for pound conceptually the darkest at least zombie movie ever when you look at the two conceits of it which are that no matter what you do even if you nuke tennessee (laughs) you can't stop it right and it hurts to be dead which is like i mean that is the darkest line i've ever heard in anything that is fucking that is like william blake i mean that is horrifying but you never like it never really comes across that way like it still has that sort of like light, like it's like you're playing. Yeah, it's right. like there's a feel. gallows humor to it. Yeah, yeah it's the it, it really walks that line perfectly of black comedy. Yeah, it's horribly bleak and God, so that line it hurts to be dead. <laughs> like I'm, if you have a second to stop and think about that, yeah, like that's the worst thing in any movie. <laughs> but it never, like, it never weighs on you the way like night weighs on you. Yeah, which there there's such great examples of different ways to present a horror movie yeah. I also, in that way. I love that they also managed to shove in the political commentary with it too. I love the guy calling up the, the army guy on the phone. Yeah, you did what? And then what? Mm-hmm. Go on. And what happened after that? You know, this yeah. very clinical, you know, and the guy's I probably screaming, yeah. you know, like, and then he just walks over and he's like, oh, nope, yeah, no, we're all pretty unhappy about this. It's not <laughs> not a pleasant thing, you know? And then they just nuke the whole city yeah. and you're like, Jesus Christ. What's the, what's the bit with his wife where she's like, how's your day and his usual crap? <laughs> she's like, what do you want for lunch? Lamb chops? Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. No, I had that already. Just that little bit. I the, Yeah. How fucking mundane he was. Yeah, that, it just, I love the, and then he's living in this like, yeah silk silk tower of like you know yeah like it would have worked if he enjoyed his life exactly then it would have been too like you know it would have pushed you too much well it's that great domestic stuff that you also see in like dawn of the dead yeah which i think shit when zombies combined with domestic stuff i think there's a that's a really winning combo like even like unless you're genuinely to jenna's point stupid like the creators of fear the walking dead Mm -hmm. which was too stupid to be able to pull that off right but like you could tell it wanted to have that like Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead, like, you know, tension between this sort of fracturing family and the zombie stuff. But like they were garbage. Yeah. They couldn't do shit with it. Well, like in 28 Days Later, some of the most uh, love haunting, that movie. Yeah. haunting parts of it is like when he goes back to like his parents' house. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, that's just I mean, that sticks with you really deeply. 
I mean, just seeing them in the bed and this, that, and the other. I that mean, that's, whole movie, I th- the fact that that came out right after 9-11, too. Yeah. With mm-hmm. all of the papers, the papers flying in the, the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He oh, really yeah. incorporated... And then the board of missing people. Yeah, that was completely out of, like, you know, Manhattan. It yeah. was like, that was yeah. like a... It was kind of like... An, it was actually, at the time, that was like a too soon, yeah. honestly. Yeah. But the fact that he captured it so well was, was to his credit. Yeah, yeah, that whole Godspeed, you Black Emperor opening bit is just uh i mean that's you could just isolate that as like a short film and it, it's just fantastic I have to say, one of the greatest sequences in history I think. yeah 28 days later made me reconsider um liking uh being less of a wuss for for some horror movies at the time when it came out because i i liked it so much even though yeah. i was kind of dragged into seeing it because i was afraid of it yeah and it totally scared the shit out of me but the fact that it was just so um, complex and interesting and had that yeah. great social commentary. And I loved the ending that the, the the most terrifying part was like Killian Murphy running around like naked, like <laughs> murdering people. Like that was so intense and such a great evolution of a character. Yeah. And you know, like that movie just it was like one of my favorite films. I love that movie. Yeah. Mm. And just like in the same way, Night of the Living Dead is so defiantly, using the cameras it's using and the equipment it's using, you know, that really like lo-fi feel, that standard definition digital feel. Oh, and yeah. the like, you know, like getting every good thing you can get out of that, which is another great thing about horror. I think, I think it uses this kind of equipment that other movies won't deign to use. Sure. Like that, like Night of the Living Dead with that black and white handheld, the like sort of drifting, like recorded on a Nagra audio and 28 Days Later with that great... It's like the only great standard definition digital movie, probably. Oh, yeah. Well, what's its competition? Like, bamboozled? Yeah. Like, I mean, come on. <laughs> Maybe uh, Miami Vice is probably high def. But actually, Miami well, Vice has that same... Yes, collateral. collateral looks yeah. immaculate. Tremendous, yeah. This this feel that, like, you, do, you just don't get enough movies doing it to ever get sick of it. Isn't it weird how collateral looks way better than public enemies? Yeah, I can't. I could never put my finger on what went wrong with Public Enemies visually. Yeah, like there's just something that it didn't quite land the same way. But man, Collateral looks that's beautiful, fantastic, beautiful film. You know, I'm thinking of 28 Days Later now, and I'm realizing that one of the other things I really loved about that movie, the same thing that I loved from Night of the Living Dead, was that the the sort of true evil were, were groups of white men. Just yeah, just being groups of white men, which is um. <laughs> Very much, I think, Romero put the stake on Mount Everest with that, you know? Yeah. Like, there are earlier versions of that. I mean, Frankenstein very much has that, like, sense of our own irresponsibility and, you know, like... the. But Frankenstein almost feels broader. Yeah. It feels like humans. Exactly, Whereas yeah. with Night of the Living Dead, it felt like these white men... It's very economic, Night of the yeah. Living Dead. Which, Dawn of the Dead goes even further. I mean, Dawn of the Dead is probably the best movie about economics you can imagine. <laughs> like, it's really very much about, you know, like this place and the people who made these things and our complicity in, in this kind of cannibal capitalism is the problem, which is the great stroke of 70s, 60s and 70s horror movies. Which I think it was a huge boon time. You had stuff like Death Dream, which is um, pretty much the monkey's paw, but it's about a, a kid who comes back from Vietnam and he's dead. And like the family is trying to deal with that. Like there's there's this great substrata of movies about um, the horrible things that Western capitalist society did and does. And you you have to deal with it 
in this way that's almost operatic because you're taking it to the limits, which is dead people coming back and people literally eating each other and stuff like the blob or the stuff where it's about people just being consumed by this force. Mm. And you can deal with it in other movies. Like you can deal with it very well. I mean, beautifully in stuff like All the President's Men or The Godfather, or even like later on with stuff like Syriana, but you can't push it to like the miserable limits that you can in a horror movie. Or you can, on the other hand, in a Western, which is why I think the two of them are the great political genres, but especially horror. I mean, you can take the concept of the police and the army or whatever, not caring about lower middle-class kids in the city, and you can turn it into this thing where like, People are being nuked and it's raining acid and people are screaming and dying in the streets, which is how everybody feels all the time anyway. But you get to do it literally. Right. Yeah. Right. That's what I was going to say. you get to bring it home. Yeah. You, yeah. you, you get that visceral. It, it's it's more satisfying. Like my I love the movie Possession from 81. Yeah. And and if you describe if, if I were to describe that movie, um, I would call it divorce porn. Because that's what it is. There's no, no one has a conversation in that movie. They start off with like how, like, well, I think we should do this. And the other person says, I don't think we should do that. And the other person says, why the hell? And suddenly yeah. everyone's standing up. They're throwing chairs. They're literally stabbing each other. And it just goes insane. And what was, you know, like, uh, like, like 28 days later, I think what, what really spoke to me is that when you have those groups of those army guys, you know, complete misogynist pigs, and they're sitting there talking about, well, the world's over. So who, like, which one of these girls are we going to fuck God, first? God, you're going to love Dawn of the Dead. Well, <laughs> but I love that the response to that, you know, like, number one, it's that great, you know, what's worse? These guys are, are being eaten yeah. alive by zombies. That's a genuinely good question. And then I just love that in the end, they get to fucking kill everybody. And, you know, the only thing that would have made it better maybe was if, uh, you know, like, Killian had been a woman, but then there was that really badass female char character in that movie. Yes, yeah, totally forgetting great. the actress's name. Naomi and she's Harris. amazing. Yes, she's good in everything. She's the great. The scene I remember most in that movie actually is when she gives the girl the what are they? It's like Vicodin or something. Oh she yeah, she just like slips her those pills. Mm. And it's horrifying. Yeah, and there's that that little exchange where the girl's like, "Are these gonna kill me?" And she's like, "No, it's gonna make you not care." Like yeah. that is God. What a like perfectly pinpointed like i don't even want to say commentary just what are like a perfectly pinpointed like combination of a character beat with like a wider like societal beat all at the same time Absolutely. and the, the sad part about it is it also just makes you realize how uh you know mundane that yeah. attitude is that shit is real life yeah. yeah i was having lunch the other day i'll first bring this in real quick i was having lunch the other day by myself and I, this group of four like kind of like computer programmer kind of dudes were sitting next to me and they were all talking about how best to engineer their progeny Oof. like mm. <laughs> and then they were talking about like you know well of course in the future you know like uh two you know multiple wives obviously and you're like i just wanted to like fucking throw my soup like yeah. right in their face i was like fuck you but it's like, man, those are the guys I don't want to be next to in the apocalypse because they're just going to shoot me. Right. You know? It's like, like now's yeah. the time to enact everything we've <laughs> talked about over uh, our chicken sandwiches. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is why Night of the Living Dead is one of the greatest movies ever made. And The Walking Dead is one of the worst pieces of media I think our society is capable of and responsible for. I have Because one is the perspective of... Night of the Living Dead is the perspective of people scared about the idea of people like that being all that's left. And then they and shoot the walking him. dead. Yeah. The walking dead is the perspective of those people enacting their fantasies. Mm. 
I haven't seen it. It's genuinely one of the worst things I've ever seen. Skip For that it. reason, because you feel like it's like those guys, like yeah. if you could stick a camera in their brain. Yeah. One thing it, also... Um, all right. Sorry, go Sorry. Ahead. No, you go. Well, I was going to say, this all comes down to what really intoxicates me about horror in general, which is that it's this idea of it being movies about where how you live is invaded by how you feel, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you have the, they always have the first 10 minutes where everything's calm and, and, you know, everything's okay on the surface. And then it's just one way or another through one means or another, everything is invaded by how you feel climbing out through your skin. You know, like the perfect example is the shining where, you know, all the ghosts are really just, it's just how they feel. And the Babadook is the same way. It's just, everything is how you feel. Yeah. Attacking how you live, which is probably why. The scariest stuff in a horror movie doesn't scare you day to day. Nobody's fucking scared of a ghost coming into this room. Except for me. <laughs> but like, you know. But then I sometimes think about this. I'm like, whenever I'm like genuinely worried that a ghost is going to walk into the room, I think, you know what? It's a better way to die than most ways to die. <laughs> like, but it's you, actually not bad. You know what I mean, though? Like, it, it, it's it's this concept, again, that I keep saying over and over of, the mundane being invaded by the irrational. Right. Yeah. Which is, I think it's, I mean, every horror movie in somewhere or another is, you know, to the lighthouse. It's all just Virginia Woolf and that like terror of like being unable to control how you feel and your place in, in society. Yeah. And, and, and to not know what to expect. Yeah. One thing about uh, 20 days later, I wanted to bring up is that movie came very close to not being, a good movie because if you look on the DVD, like all the alternate endings that they were thinking of doing that they couldn't either afford or couldn't figure oh, out yeah, yeah, yeah. what to do. There were so many alternate endings to that film that were just, you hear about them and you're like, why was that ever considered? That was, yeah, there's the woman they go back and find the guy at the mm-hmm. lab at the beginning and they do like, he's a, like hiding behind the, the barricades and they do a full blood transfusion. Yeah. That it makes no sense and would have been... Because it all gets too big. Yeah. And luckily, luckily, it has the, the, the fantastic ending that it does have in its current yeah. form. But man, you go on that DVD and it's just like a list of like horrible ideas. Blair Witch has the same thing where you can, you can watch all the alternate endings. And it's almost like this beautiful movie about filmmaking in and of itself. Where each time they reshot the end of Blair Witch, the very last shot which is what Heather sees when she runs down to the basement. Mm-hmm. In the final movie, it's, it's the guy standing in the corner. Each time they shot it, they made it less and less. Like the first time she runs down there, there's those stick things all over the room. Yes. And like he's impaled yeah. on a thing. And there's just like this, all this overgrown like horns and stuff everywhere. And then they didn't like it, so they did it again. And they took out the stick things. And he's just impaled. And then the third time they did it, they didn't like that. So they just made it him standing there waiting for her. And they didn't like that. And like each time it gets smaller and smaller and smaller Mm -hmm. and smaller until it's what it is now, which is, I think, the best ending shot in horror movie history. And I think most people agree with that because they they just whittled it down to the essential fear behind it. It becomes like the Kuleshov thing where it's like almost like a director saying, all right, give me less, give me less, give me less. And then you have this ferocious ending. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more horror discussion. See you soon. Hello, Smug Film fans. Did you know that Smug Film now has a voicemail box? Just call the following phone number. 
7183959711 and leave a question or a comment about the show along with your name and we may play it on the future episode. Thank you for listening and now back to the show. And now Chloe Peltier reviewing a movie she's seen parts of while working at the theater. Okay, so right now we have two movies starring famous guys pretending to be older guys who are still alive, which is interesting. So we have Joseph Gordon-Levitt pretending to be Philippe Petit in The Walk, but it's weird because like Man on Wire already exists and it's really good. Like the movie's awesome. So I guess we have this dramatization now and all I see when I see the clips is Joseph Gordon-Levitt doing an accent. And even though Philippe Petit has like a heavy accent, it still feels weird, you know? So I'm tempted to go see The Walk because actually it's selling like zero tickets every time we show it. So I haven't even got a chance to talk to anyone who's seen it or anything. And I barely even get to walk into it. I've really just seen the trailers mostly because like there's never anybody in there. So (laughs) since I've been hating on it so hard, I think I'm just going to go see it and like try to figure out what the redeeming quality is, like why they felt like they needed to make the movie, you know, and like let you guys know. And then we have Black Mass which is getting great reviews and stuff. And that's uh, Johnny Depp, like, trying to be Whitey Bulger. And that one, like, you know, that one's supposed to be really suspenseful and, like, exciting and everything. But whenever I walk into that one, it's doing really well, so I get to walk into it. It just doesn't feel, it it doesn't grip me because all I see is Johnny Depp being Johnny Depp. And maybe it's because he's done so many characters in the past that aren't real guys with so much makeup on and so many accents that it's almost like no matter what guy he tries to do, he just looks like him in this weird way. I don't know if that makes sense to any of you guys, but I don't know. I just don't get it. And there's some there's some kind of quality about these two dudes, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Johnny Depp, where, I don't know, they just, I just can't... Uh, I can't feel them. I can't feel for them very well, you know? I mean, I really liked uh, I really liked What's Eating Gilbert Grape. That's a great movie. And I really like Don John, actually. Don John is great. But other than that, it's like those guys, when they try to play characters, it's weird. So I don't know. I'll let you know what I think later. Thanks, Chloe. And now back to the show. And we are back. All right, we have a a voicemail. We're going to check that real quick and uh, see what that fan has to say. Hello, Smart Film Crew. This is Nick from Kansas City again. I would like to inform Cody that I am currently working on my decision to watch Batman Ramen. I still have to watch Batman Forever, but there are some complications there. But I would like to ask the Smart Film Crew, are there any Halloween classics, October favorites, that every time the month of the year rolls around, you decide to watch these movies because you want to celebrate Halloween? I would really like to hear what Halloween movies Smug Film enjoys. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Nick from Kansas City. I, I think uh, you said that you're going to be watching Batman and Robin, which I, of course, uh fully endorse and thank you for attempting to do that. I think you said you were attempting to watch it. So hopefully that attempt uh, pulls through. Hopefully you, you were able to do so. But uh, yeah, so horror movies that, I, that we watch a lot. Trick or Treat, 
the one from a couple years back. I feel like I've watched that every year since it came out. I never got into that one. I remember that was that had a really strong fan base and it just it didn't oh, I click love for it. Me. I love it. And um, I guess I gravitate towards Phantasm 1 and 2 a lot. Those are two that I just I'll always revisit. The Do you blog, call them the Tasms? I should. I should call them the Tasms. Say it's time to watch the Tasm 2. <laughs> T-Taz 2. Well, yeah, 3 and 4. I, <laughs> T-Taz 2. T-Taz 2. And uh, the uh, the three and four can't really do, but one can't and two. Can't do T-Taz four. Can't do T-Taz four. Can't do T-Taz three. T-Taz five. Is that even out yet? I know they were making it. T-Taz five. The T-Taz five. The Tazan. Well, it's got <laughs> Angus Scrim, who's like a hundred million years old by now. Yeah, man, he is. But still <laughs> cranking them out. But uh, yeah, love Phantasm one and two. I guess I. I'm drawn to like the blob remake a lot. That's one I can always be in the mood for. I think just because the the pace of it and that Darabont script it's it just so good. It's so good and the the effects are so enjoyable. Plus, it's got like that really good Halloween thing where like I feel like a lot of the great Halloween movies are about people watching horror movies. Yeah, you know, it really has that like like demons. Yeah, <laughs> or like uh uh, f- uh Monster Squad. You mm-hmm. know, you really have that like. Yeah, monster movie kid thing, you know. Yeah, that monster really squad for me. Monster squad's a great pick, and also Shane Black script. Yeah, and and uh, same director as uh, Night of the Creeps, I think, right? Yeah, which is another one that didn't fully click for me. I liked it, but it was you know parts of it I adore. I mean that the the finale of it I think is just is wonderful. I like the part where they knock on the guy's door and he's sitting in his room quietly and he stands up and he answers the door and you've been like watching him for a little bit. And then he starts pulling the tape off the door and he shuts the gas off and you realize the whole scene, he had the gas on and was trying to kill himself. Yeah. I thought that was the best part of that movie. That belonged in a better movie. That was I such also, a great beat. Yeah, I love the tagline that was that became the, you know, the poster tagline, which was a great line where he says, good news is your dates are here. Bad news is they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> which is when like all the guys show up to take the girls out. <laughs> man, maybe I need to watch that one again. I might like that more now. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I always, I'm like, man, that was a really good one. Then I actually watch it. I'm like, not so great, but parts that are fucking amazing. That's my experience with Hellraiser. I every year convince myself, maybe I'll <laughs> like Hellraiser this year. Yeah. And every year I hate Hellraiser. But I've he looks so great. I can't, yeah, like the production design is scary. so cool. It's not. He's, it's the most boring like movie I bet now, in the history of humankind. I remember being a kid going to movie theaters and they'd have a poster of Hellraiser and I'd be like, that looks too scary. Yeah, because like the, the design is really good and like the idea is fucking awesome. Yeah. And like the whole thing about the guy who's like resurrecting back from the dead so he's like a little more full every time is really cool. But it is so boring it should be illegal. Clive Barker. It is the most boring Clive Barker, pound from pound, a lot of amazing horror premises. And sometimes they come into something that's great, like uh, Candyman is just so well done. I think that's the only one that got it right. Yeah, but I don't even know why. And I don't know why, because a lot of his premises are really good. Nightbreed, great premise. The most boring movie behind Hellraiser Mm. is Nightbreed. I was told to watch Nightbreed. I haven't done it yet. It's 400 hours long. Did you know that (laughs) going into it? Nope. You have to write your will before you finish that movie because yeah. it is so long. Hellraiser 2, also a really good premise. Also super shitty. It's a shame. They can't all be Candyman, I guess. And nah. Candyman, actually, that's one I adore and I've seen so many times. I wouldn't put it on the list of ones I could watch every year because it's yeah. it's it's a grueling film. It's It's really effective. There's some really scary, horrible stuff. And it's sad. 
Yeah. It's like taxing and emotional and sad. Mm. Have you Which seen that good, one, Jenna? But... No, it's another one I've been too afraid to watch. That's one that's really going to creep you out, dude. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> it, won't, one... it won't scare you, but it'll creep you out. It's I wish one of those I ones could that, tell like, you creeps. you won't be scared by it, but you're going to be scared by parts of it. For sure. Really? It's, which which parts? Do you, can, you, um, can you code them? I wish I... Well, the one where she wakes up. Yeah, it was scary. Uh, yeah, it was scary. It was a scary movie. I take it back. That was a scary movie. When she wakes up, that's that's one of the most yeah, that was scary. horrific sequences I've ever seen. I forgot seen. about that. That is a scary movie. Yeah. How? Yeah. Yeah. That was a scary movie. The great Candyman official scary movie. <laughs> the great thing, too, about that film is like it has those like horrific moments, but also... Walking through the projects is pretty fucking scary. Yeah. <laughs> Walking through a horrible, you know, neighborhood where everybody's leering at you and like... That graffiti that she has to crawl through. Yeah. That's the scariest part of the movie. Is that like mouth graffiti? Oof. 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 Great set pieces in that film. Yes. Yeah. So what, what are ones that you, you've seen like you, you tend to gravitate towards like every year? Well, I have a large stable of horror movies I like that I watch usually most of the year. But come Halloween time, I get specifically interested in Halloween movies, which are slightly different, which are like, for me, the big like monster mash movies. Like to me, Halloween is about like getting together with your Draculas and your (laughs) Frankensteins and your mummies and just chilling. Yeah. So there's this like substrata of monster movies that are like monster party movies. (laughs) And that's my shit. Well, there's that movie Monster Party. Mad Monster Party. Yeah. Which is... (laughs) The best. Rankin Bass, Claymation, you got oh, the yeah. Dracula, you got the Skeleton Band. Mad Monster Party, I'm all about. There, we have a fan, actually, that recommended that I watch that one, which I, I know I've seen before, but I just don't have that full memory of. I just have pieces memory of. But uh, he'll, he'll be excited to hear that you shouted that it's one It's that out. kind of movie. You don't... There's not really, like, much of a through line. I mean, technically there is, but, like, you, you remember pieces. Yeah. You remember the look of it. You remember the vibe. You remember the pieces. And, of course, Monster Squad. Monster Squad. Basically Squad's a live-action yeah. Monsters Hanging Out movie. I can't say I watch that one every year, but when I do that, watch that one, I'm glad I watched that one. I was going to say the, you know... Um, you had me at Band of Happy Skeletons. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever there's a bunch of happy skeletons, like, chilling... That's my jam. If you need like a cool off movie after Candyman, oh, Mad yeah. Monster Party. <laughs> do they wear top hats? You. That's my favorite. Um, they do wear hats. hats. I don't think they're top hats. I, I No, no. They have like long Beatles hair. That's oh, it. Oh, that's even mm-hmm. better. Yeah, because it was 67. Oh, hell yeah. All right. Oh, yeah, they have like long Mad, Beatles hair. You're going to love Mad Monster Party. So that I like that. And I, I also, I usually rewatch a lot of the... Um, Universal and Universal era horror movies because I fucking love those. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, The Creature from the Black Lagoon and its sequels. And often the very underappreciated monster of Piedras Blancas, mm. which is a creature from the Black Lagoon ripoff, but it's set on like the coast of right. Mexico. Yeah. And it's super violent for a 50s movie. The monster's like trawling the fog shrouded beaches carrying a severed head mm. and eating like, like the lighthouse keeper leaves out a bucket of fish heads for him to eat so he doesn't kill him. Monster Piedras Blancas is a great one. That sounds great. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that one. You tend to like some of the Spanish versions. Like, I know you like the Spanish Dracula better than the uh, the American one. I do, but the caveat is I don't like either of them very much. Uh, The Spanish Dracula is better. It's a lot better. Um, It's got a lot more character and there's there's better cinematography and there's a lot of stuff going on. But like, if I'm doing my power rankings of the monsters, Mm -hmm. Dracula is pretty low on there. My favorite Dracula movie actually is, um, is the Hammer one. The first of the Hammer ones. Mm. 
which is rare. I usually like the universal ones more than the Hammer ones, but Hammer, I think, did a better job at Dracula. I think Christopher Lee was better than Lugosi. Which do you think of those original, like, universal horror monster ones has the best sequels? I'm so glad you asked me that. The sequels are such an interesting subject in yeah. and of themselves. All right. Let me just give you the rundown on all of them. Dracula has its first sequel, Dracula's Daughter, is better than Dracula. It was um, originally supposed to be James Whale who did the Frankenstein movies. It was supposed to direct it, but he backed out. He didn't want to do another horror movie. So they made it like a much smaller production than it was originally supposed to be. And it's really fucking cool. It's about like like lesbian vampires in love with each other. Okay. And it's like the last of the pre-code era. Like it, it wasn't pre-code, but it was still sort of riding off that. Like we're going to try this really extravagant like sexual horror movie. Yeah. Which the 30s ones were really good at that. Um, Dracula's Daughter, I think, is very good. Um, but I wouldn't call it great. The Invisible Man has really interesting sequels because they're always different from the others. So, like, Invisible Man Returns is really good, and it's just about the Invisible Man returning. But <laughs> Home then from they work. have, yeah. Then they have, like, the Invisible Woman. And then they have my uh, favorite of them is Invisible Agent, which was 1940. <laughs> And the Invisible Man is a spy during World War II. Nice. And there's this bit where he's like a paratrooper and they're dropping him out of the plane <laughs> into Nazi-occupied France. And he's falling from the parachute, but he's desperately trying to get all his clothes off before he hits the ground. <laughs> That's great. So that he's like invisible on the ground. I love that. That one's a lot of fun. And The Creature from the Black Lagoon has two sequels, um, Revenge of the Creature and The Creature Walks Among Us, which are very low budget. And a lot of people really dislike them. Because of that, I know one of them, I think Revenge was a Mr. Science Theater movie, which I think is bullshit. I think when you get past the low production values, they're brilliant because the whole concept is um, they catch the creature. Mm. And in Revenge of the Creature, he's um, he's taken a like sea world <laughs> and they're doing all these experiments on him. And it, they're really great because they're just about this like lonely fish man who's in prison. So it has that like King Kong, Mighty yeah, Joe Young. Very type King thing. Kong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he gets away and he runs through the far Florida Everglades at the end of the movie. And then they burn the Everglades down trying to catch him mm. at the end of the second movie. So the third movie picks up and his face is all burned and they burned the gills off of his face. Oh, no. uh. So he has to get reconstructive surgery <laughs> and he can't live underwater anymore. They've turned him into like a man. Oh, that's why it's called The Creature Walks Among Us. That's fucked up. That's really But horrible. the brilliant thing about The Creature Walks Among Us, it has the exact same ending as The 400 Blows. It was first. <laughs> yes, I remember your post about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> but the end of the movie, he escapes <laughs> from the lab and he runs, like lurches over. <laughs> he lurches over to the ocean. And he can't live underwater anymore is the big thing. He only has lungs now. They, they burned off his gills and he's, his face doesn't look like the creature anymore. It's like a man's face. And he gets to the edge of the waterline and he stops. And it's the exact same thing as the 400 blows where right. he runs out of the school and he gets to the water and he just stops. And it's the end of the movie. Creature gets to the end of the water and he stops and he looks out and he knows he can't go into the ocean anymore. Oof. And he's just stuck standing on the shore. Neither fish nor man unable to go into the water and unwilling to refuse to the return to the land. And that's the end of the movie. And it's the end of the series. And that's when he moved to Paris and just like got a little flat and met this nice American woman who was selling newspapers. <laughs> it's such a thing though. We're like, I would love a really new wave. cheap. Yeah. I want a new yeah, wave. I really want it. Movie. They're very cheap movies and people <laughs> sneer at them, but like conceptually, I mean, that is balls. Yeah. That's undeniable. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. See, but I love, I see, I like 
I like when monsters are like that. I like when they treat them more like, you know, yeah. more like a, like a sympathetic animal or That's like the whole thirties thing. Yeah. The best of the bunch, the best sequels of all of them is obviously Frankenstein, mm-hmm. which Frankenstein 1931 is, you know, top whatever narrow number list you want to make. Frankenstein is one of the greatest films of all time. And the sequel Bride of Frankenstein um, is so good because James Whale didn't want to make it. And the deal Universal made with James Whale that, to my knowledge, has never been made again, was that you can make literally any movie you want and we're not going to stop you. So Bride of Frankenstein, and he was, he was gay. He was this gay British guy who had served in World War I and was really down on the human race. Because, you know, I think it was very hard to be a gay British man in the Victorian era who also saw everybody die on the front in World War I. So Bride of Frankenstein is about like both of those anxieties and these fears. And it's this very like homoerotic, almost Mencken or like Dorothy Parker-ish like cynicism about the state of the world. And the whole thing is they're building uh, the monster a bride. But like the doctor who's helping him, helping Frankenstein do it is this like um, blackmailer. And there's all this stuff about like he has these little homunculi in jars and he's this like very great like end of the empire, like British imperial does not give a shit about anybody type of thing. And you, you basically follow the monster, like becoming like a working class revolutionary, just like not taking it anymore. Right. And at the end of the movie, he tears the whole lab down and says, we belong dead and destroys the whole, like destroys the British empire at the end of the movie is what happens. And that's usually as far as people go, because those are the two James whale ones. But the third one, son of Frankenstein, very underrated. Son of Frankenstein is fucking brilliant. It was written and directed by this guy, Arch Obler, who was um, one of the great horror radio guys. He had this radio show called um, uh, Lights Out that was this really like like goopy, gory, um, like EC Comics almost type of radio show. Tremendous little show. You can find most of it on the Internet Archive. Lights Out is just if you if you need like another podcast, just listen to old Lights Out episodes. (laughs) So he did the sequel to um, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. And he went like way Art Deco with it. So it's got these beautiful, like very geometric shots. And all the people in it are these very strange, like Eastern European and like Central European old world personalities. So, you know, in Young Frankenstein, the um, the weird um, inspector who has like the wooden arm and talks in that accent. Mm. Direct character from Son of Frankenstein. Oh, nice. Exact same character. And it's not like he's serious in this and he's played for laughs and that he's played for laughs in son of Frankenstein. Oh, cool. He's fucking hysterical in it. He's so good. It's just very like, it's very strange that those three, I think Frankenstein bride and son are just the strangest, most ambitious horror movies. So those are my picks. Nice. Yeah. That's a, that's a nice little recap on uh, the sequels there. I haven't seen any of those. movies. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> They're yeah. all like 75 minutes long is the other thing. Yeah, I've seen actually, well, I liked them. I like a uh, Gilman. What's his face? Sup, creature. Yeah. yeah. Sup, I'm a creature living in a lagoon. Yeah, that's I've, the thing I've about those that. old ones. You can really blow through them because they're like 67 minutes. So, yeah. yeah. 60, 70 minutes. Uh, yeah. They get a little longer towards the end. It all climaxes in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which is an official Frankenstein sequel, by the way. Damn right. What about that Young Frankenstein? Also the same. Yeah. Young Frankenstein is- That's a great movie. If there's such a thing, it's in Frankenstein canon. It's a direct sequel to the events of the other movies. Nice. Which is really cool. So like, I like that it ended with those like two great comedies and that's yeah. it. And then of course the Robert De Niro Frankenstein from uh, 
the early 90s. Do you remember that one? Yeah, that was rough. The Hammer yeah. ones are pretty good. Oh, yeah. There's a Hammer one called Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. That's tremendous. Wasn't there a shitty Thomas Jane Frankenstein called like... That's the Punisher. I Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was bad. A couple years back. Wait, and then there's like, if you Google it, there some bus in England screwed up the signage on the side of a bus and, and it says, I Franken Rankin. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's wonderful. Which is the best thing I've ever seen. Oh, man. All so, right, so I don't I don't watch movies continually oh, wait, for that's October. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hold on. I just remembered the Spanish title for that was Yo Frankenstein. <laughs> I remember that poster. That that's amazing wonderful. too. Yeah. Yeah, that the, the title was good. I didn't see the movie, but the title was great. Uh continually rewatching in October, so not so much me. That yeah, was English. I mean, I I think everybody probably assumed. But that said, I, there are a couple of uh, movies. I, I, like, I actually really like Halloween. So like I have Halloween parties or like, you know, if, if I'm, you know, people ask me what what's a good like Halloween movie to play or something. Um, I find that I do end up rewatching horror movies, you know, like 20 days later, I watch a lot. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that's just, but you can see that you a million like times. Pay it attention up. to it. You know, yeah, like you can't really throw yeah, that on at a party. It's not a party movie. Yeah. That's I if found, you need to clear people out or if you need to get everybody to just watch something like you can do that. But as far as background, I feel it's so a background. My favorite movie is Suspiria. I was about to say Argento is great. He's perfect. Background yeah. Because you, you typically don't really want to hear what the characters are saying. And no. it looks beautiful. And it's like a good background. Yep. I like Silent Hill. I've seen that movie a bunch of times. Yeah, you love Silent Hill. Because it's just a good, like, because it has good monsters. Like, I want to be friends with, like, that guy that, like, crawls backwards, the janitor, and those, like, sexy nurses. They're great. Right on. Did you ever play the game? No, I'm terrified. <laughs> it's so scary. Silent Hill 2 is so scary. I'm so scared of that game. <laughs> it's very scary. I love uh, Manhunter is a good movie. Man, um, which is good, yeah. Which I thought, fact, I think yeah. is also nice really choice. underrated because the yeah. music is terrible in that movie. It's, like, very, it's, well, it's very of its time. And I love the music. It works really well in the film, but I found that's the one thing. And then the slow mo, like running with like that music, I think is the cheesiest part of that movie. What, but the it's Inigata still a, Vita stuff that was awesome. It's still a great movie, I think, and and I think more enjoyable almost than Silence of the Lambs at this point. I think it's more fun to watch. Well, Silence of the Lambs is not a fun to watch movie. No. Yeah, because I, but I don't even, I don't know. I think I saw that too late in life because I, I, everyone kept saying how creepy it was and I saw it in my 20s and I wasn't scared. That's not really, I don't think that's a movie that's supposed to scare you. Yeah. I think it's just like, it oh my God. That's like moments. expecting a CSI episode to scare you. It's not really <laughs> yeah. like that kind of a movie. No. I, I had these expectations that it was going to be in and then it wasn't. It was still a good movie. I don't think but... any serial killer things really have that approach. Unless you get like Texas Chainsaw serial killer things. Those are usually more like analytical and more procedural. Well, doesn't uh, doesn't Seven have like a couple jump scares in it, if I remember? Yeah, but Seven's another one. I mean, I wouldn't call it like a, a horror movie or a movie yeah. supposed to scare you. There's it startles you imagery something. in it. But, I, I, uh, I would say startling. Like it startles yeah. you, but it's really, it's a detective story. Mm -hmm. Silence of the Lambs is, um, it's, it's uh, a detective, I guess. Yeah. You would call it story. It's a police story. That's Ta some creepiness. Shout out to... It's uh, creepy, yeah. Very creepy. My boy, Tak Fujimoto, DP'd the shit out of Silence of the Lambs. Stop, dude. I love he that He did guy. a lot with a terrible era for film stock. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I'd say that, just to throw out uh, the uh, horror movie that I love that I didn't really mention, um, I love Repulsion. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's but that's another one where I don't I don't watch it that often because it's too effective. <laughs> you know, it's Do you like, like the other ones? The Which Tenant and uh, Rosemary's Baby? No. I All right. Well, I don't dislike them. The Tenant, I was disappointed by it. It really did nothing for me. I don't. I, that's a movie I don't get. 
Yeah. I, I just, I, it didn't, nothing clicks with me for that film. That's how I feel about Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby, I think, has interesting points, but my favorite part of that movie, I think, is really the building because <laughs> yeah. it takes place in the Dakota and I love the Dakota. Yeah, man. And I like the sort of idea of it, but it wasn't, it's not my favorite movie either. No, but, yeah, I, I agree. I think Repulsion is much better than the other two. Because yep. Repulsion, I think that's like, I, I have a couple of friends uh, who we talk about female anxiety movies. We talk about we should put together like a film, you know, like screening for just female anxiety movies. Repulsion is one. That movie, before I watched it, I was looking on IMDb. Oh, no, actually, it was directly after I watched it because I, I sort of fell into it randomly. I watched it. I was blown away by it. I go on IMDb, and the synopsis at the time, it said, like, a, a movie about a woman with rape fantasies. Oof. And I was like, that is so fucking far. Jesus. This movie is so clearly about just sort of being female in society and what society expects of you and just how much that weighs on you and terrifies you and, and the sort of like overt sexuality that gets pushed onto you that you have to sort of deal with, you know, like, and yet they, they like describe it as rape fantasies. I was like, that's so fucking far away from what yeah, this movie is. It's so, such an intense movie. And I would recommend it. You know, Polanski, the you know, child rapist that he is, uh, absolutely. You know, he he just nails sort of the the horror of of being a woman in society. Yeah, credit where credit's due. Yeah, you got to separate the artist from the art. You know. Yeah, it's just shocking, and and so that's another. You know, like I don't know how someone could get it so well and then do something so completely it, opposite. Yeah, it but. boggles the mind. It's the whole Cosby thing. It's the whole you know. But whatever. Yeah. You got, it's hard, but you really just got to separate at a certain point. I mean, repulsions. Repulsions. Great. I would definitely 100% recommend it, but it is, it's like another movie that like you watch it once every couple of years and yeah, when you know you want to be in a bad mood. <laughs> All right. So to, uh, to close it out, we should definitely plug what John's been doing on the site, which has been really, really great. I mean, especially because Netflix has been fucking dead as far as horror lately. I don't know if you know, but they they lost a lot of universal titles recently and they even jacked up the price from like eight bucks to like 10 bucks or whatever it is. And uh, it's just been dead. I, I've been looking around for stuff on Netflix. You can't really find too much it's a wasteland. good horror on there. You can only find like maybe a handful. But uh, John has been picking out the best YouTube horror, which of course is free. So it's just... Uh, every single day this month, he's been posting a new one on the site, which is a pick of uh, some great YouTube horror thing, whether it's a short, whether it's a music video, whether it's uh, a full feature length film. And uh, if you haven't checked out those already, you really have to check it out. So what what sparked that for you? Because you've always been real big on uh, finding stuff on YouTube. Yeah, I think YouTube is the great um, library of our time. But also, I mean, there's just so much horror yeah that's so good and a lot of it like nobody's really seen like i put um harpia up and la cabina up which are two shorts from the 70s that i thought are just tremendous mm -hmm. and like a big part of it is just because i know a ton of people who would really like them who haven't watched them and it kind of annoys me yeah and um you know like there's just so much great stuff a lot of it's in the public domain like i bury the living you know which is tremendous film or carnival of souls which is one of the greats and and there's a ton of um, old TV on YouTube, which has some really cool stuff. There's some great British ones, um, some Nigel Neals and some other really creepy crawly, like, uh, you know, mid-century 
British chillers that monsters, I think are just wonderful. Uh, you have an episode of Monsters that you dig. That's yeah. Somewhere. I had to I had to fight not just putting up thirty one episodes of Monsters because I <laughs> love that show. I, I, what really inspired is I probably would have ended up just posting stuff every day anyway and yelling at people to watch it. So yeah. might as well consolidate it. So yeah, by the end of it, there will be thirty one, and uh, as of the time of recording it, there's like maybe ten or twelve. So. Uh, Definitely check that out. Check, and uh, check it out on our Twitter, by the way, yeah. at Smug Film. Yeah, if, if you, we've been posting them all on Twitter as well as the uh, the site. So if you like any of them, definitely retweet them. And I said that weird retweet, retweet. retweet. Please retweet them. Twitter it. Retweet Twitter. them and uh, Twitter that shit and uh, get them out there. And while yeah. you're on our Twitter, check out hashtag shots we love, That's which I don't right. know that we've ever plugged on we should, yeah. the site. Anytime we've just got shots that we love from movies, we just uh, do them with the hashtag shots we love on uh, the Smug Film Twitter and uh, definitely check those out. You can just type in the hashtag and see all the ones we've posted if you missed them. So uh, yeah, any final uh, thoughts for our audience before we ski dads? Night of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead. Right on. Watched them both in a row. Great times. Good double feature. Really, actually, just like, I was very, very impressed with both of those. Yeah. I'm glad you liked them so much. Yeah. I'll double down on that and say, when you're done with those, try out Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and Return of the Living Dead Part 3. Okay. Also all great. Yeah. Day of the Dead, by the way. Probably my favorite shot in all of horror is that shot in the, the first. Walls, the yeah, hands. It's, it's the best mm. shot I've ever mm. seen. Yeah. Also a great female anxiety movie. For sure. Down to the, you know, like bad dreams that you get in repulsion and everything. It's all in there. Yeah. She's that, got walls with hands. Yeah. Walls that, and uh, hands. Walls and hands are a good combo. I think that shot came from Jean Cocteau's um, Beauty and the Beast yeah, in 46. Yeah. But it's every movie it's in, it really works on me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you all for listening and I uh, hope you check out some of those horror movies we recommended. And if you have any that you want us to check out, you know, we'll probably record another horror episode before the, the month is over. So just tweet them to us or send it, send them to us on Facebook, leave us voicemails, whatever. And we will uh, check them out or we'll talk about them or whatever. So uh, thank you guys. Thank you for sticking with us for 50 episodes. Hopefully a lot of you have checked the majority of them out. If you haven't, you can always go back and check them out. So uh, tell your friends. Yeah, tell your friends. Tell you word of mouth is always the best. I tell mean, your parents. Parents tell like your parents. Us. Parents, you know, we we mentioned some old movies. You know, they're gonna connect with might, us. Might, uh, they're gonna love John. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it could be like a bonding thing. Like if you're on a car trip, you know, you throw on a smug film podcast and something for everybody. That's what my parents always want me to do. Whenever I'm in a car with them, they're like, "What? Well, why don't you put on an episode of your podcast? <laughs> and I'm like, Ugh. That's I adorable, though. <laughs> I don't Do ever you have listen it. to them after? I, for a, you know what? For a while, I was consistently, because uh, I commute, and it was a easy to, li- great thing to listen to. Hell yeah. This is like my, my you know, uh, pause for the commercial moment. But yeah. um, I haven't recently. I've been sort of behind, but I've been trying to listen to the ones where I'm not on them. Right on. The ones that I'm on, Cody might have totally edited and made me say like, "I'm a butt," and oh, I don't know always, it. Always. Plus, you know, you know, you know what goes on on those. No big surprises on the one you're on. Sometimes yeah. I just like to hear myself talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I listen to them when I'm editing them, but then after that, I, when you're editing something, you're you're listening to it so much more intently than anybody will ever. <laughs> yeah. So at that point, it's just like, all right, I don't need to hear that ever again. Do you listen to any, John? No. No. I did for a little bit. Right on. I listened to like the first few to 
confirm that I was there. Right on. I know I'm here. <laughs> I know what I said. After the mics turn off, John doesn't, I don't think he even looks at us. He just leaves. <laughs> he's just gone. And then when the mics, we turn the mics on, suddenly he's there. We look away and we look back and the chair is empty. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening. See you soon. Bye-bye. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs>